0: Welcome to another Rhythms Podcast. This episode with Brian Wise and Billy Bragg is made possible by the Port Ferry Folk Festival held from the 10th to the 13th of March, 2023. For more details, visit PortFerryFolkFestival.com. Now onto the podcast.
1: Hi, I'm Brian Wise. Editor of Rhythms Magazine, and in this podcast, my guest is the irrepressible Billy Bragg, the Bard from Barking. Billy's been making records since 1983 when he released Life's a Riot with Spy vs. Spy, a seven track album that featured the song A New England, which signalled the beginning of his abiding interest in politics. A dozen studio albums and a handful of live albums later plus collaborations with Wilco and Joe Henry and various political campaigns along the way, Billy Bragg is still as committed as ever. The title of his latest studio album, released towards the end of 2021, The Million Things That Never Happen, was a reference to the pandemic, and he was set to tour here behind it several times, only to be cancelled because of the pandemic. However, Billy will be back in early 2023, and he will be appearing at the Port Fairy Folk Festival as well as doing other dates. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Billy Bragg and the music from his latest album.
2: Boring old normal, how attractive it seems since life came and kicked to great big old in my dreams.
1: Nice to talk to you. Yeah, and you too, bro.
3: And the days keep crawling past. Just how long can this emptiness last?
1: Whereabouts are you? Uh,
3: I'm in uh, the south coast of England, Dorset. Beautiful. where it's a beautiful early autumn day here and we're just waiting for the equinox to turn up and the nights to get shorter and uh, we'll get in the northern winter.
2: good days and bad days i have no doubt i could get by if they just even on
1: out I know that you've done an online gig and people can access that, and that looks pretty spectacular. But have you been able to do any other gigs at all recently? You've got a tour coming up, sort of October, November, haven't you? But anything? Else- I do. I have.
3: I have a UK tour starts in about a month. But no, I haven't done any gigs at all. I've been very careful. My partner is uh, immunocompromised, so I have to be a bit careful. I've been shielding her and although our mask mandate is ended here most people you go to the supermarket most people are still wearing masks so we're all being a bit careful hoping that um you know we might be able to get this thing under control
1: this winter and not have the same winter we had last time we're looking forward to seeing you out here because it's a series of special concerts and we were very much looking forward to it and then it was cancelled so we can hardly wait to see those well i'm the same i'm incredibly
3: frustrated about it because it was the next thing when the first lockdown came in, in the uh, spring of last year. It was next on the agenda. I was all ready to go. And um, it was put back a year and then put back a year again. So it's been doubly frustrating for me. With a bunch of
2: strangers who all share my name I gathered at the graveside in the pouring Never thought I'd find myself back here again Yet here I am standing
1: you've said that you filled that first lockdown with sort of various clips and playlists and were looking for something else to focus on which I guess led to this well it did indeed lead to to this album you were able to get into a studio to record it I wasn't able to get
3: into a studio which kind of made it even more interesting yeah I did I always intended to make an album in 2021 but I had expected to be able to spend 2020 on the road trying out songs Mm -hmm. because that's kind of how I write these days you know I'm not like I used to be in my in my 20s writing all the time, it's something that I kind of tune into when I need to, so I, that's what I do in sound checks I have scraps of ideas and I kind of work them up, might throw a song into the set but none of that happened, so not really, hadn't really thought about making the album until the second lockdown I thought well I really should try and get on top of this, otherwise this, all this time's going to pass and I've done nothing
2: Song. voice is false awesome.
3: So I got in touch with Romeo Stoddart from The Magic Numbers, who's been doing some production, and I I really like what he does. And he he works with a guy named David Zumi, and together they're they're known for their arrangements. And I really wanted to work with uh, someone or a team that was going to arrange my songs for me, because when I send them a a demo of a song, it's just me and a a guitar, and that's it, really. I haven't really thought through until we get to the recording process. So I needed someone who was going to expand that. For
2: silence, memories live on Those we remember never gone Never gone
3: and the weird thing with this was because I couldn't get into the studio because what happened is we booked the studio time and then the lockdown come back in. So I couldn't physically go there. But Dave and Romeo were in a bubble so they could work. So I ended up sending them my demos and they would send me back realized backing tracks, which was brilliant because they, they did exactly what I wanted them to do. They expanded on my idea. They arranged my ideas. They added to my ideas. And I, I really liked what they sent back. And so it wasn't until uh, springtime when I was able to go to the studio to do the vocals and buy then most of the album was recorded. It was brilliant. So they put the band, the
1: studio band, together.
3: They did, yeah. They put a studio band together. And, and a lot of the tracks, it was just the two of them because Romeo plays a lot of instruments. Dave is pretty good on keyboards, and he has an original Mellotron wow. in the studio, which is a, an old nineteen sixties instrument. Which, when you press a key, it's a keyboard, and when you press the keyboard, it plays a tape sample of a of a stringed instrument recorded in the nineteen sixties. It's a really Archaic piece of it You can get a modern one now But it don't sound the same And he, I saw it When I went to the studio To wreck The studio in, in the gap between The lockdowns I saw it there And I thought Oh I hope he uses A bit of that he Used it on the first song And I told him How much I liked it And he said Our oh, trouble is No one lets me Use it anymore And I was like Well actually Because it has quite A woozy sound You know It's that sound of Um you know, uh, sort of strawberry fields forever kind of sound, and it, it seemed that woozy sound, that strange dreamlike sound, to me was very reminiscent of the feeling of being in the lockdown and not knowing what was going to happen next. That kind of ambiguous feeling. So I said to Dave, look, you know, use it where you feel it, and it's it's on quite a bit of the record, and I really like it.
1: Well, I know Joe Henry likes to use unusual instruments, and uh, you've worked with him a lot, and, and they do add something to a record, don't they? Because you, you're listening to the album, you, you're wondering what that particular sound might be, and it can add just a little bit of extra sort of intonation to it.
3: Yeah, texture. It's true. I mean, particularly when you're predominantly a solo performer like me, dynamics and texture become really, really important. But more, more than that, I think there's always a, a sort of subconscious fear, or rather a fear, a straightforward fear, that you're, you might subconsciously repeat yourself after making records for as long as I have. You know, I sometimes find myself getting into an interesting chord sequence, and I think, yeah, well, yeah, that's must I paint you a picture. That's why I like it so much. You know, I've already written this song. Chuck it out, you know, so you're, you're always trying to to get outside of your the way you think and the way that you write and the, those comfortable shapes you make with your fingers, you know, the chords. And working with someone like Joe helped me to do that, but more so with, with Romeo and Dave, because they had complete control in the studio and I wasn't there, so I couldn't sit behind them raising an arched eyebrow when they put the third layer of Mellotron onto something, you know, they just went and did it. And it, as I say, it, I thought it sounded great.
1: That is probably a good thing, not having the musician there trying yeah. to interfere with what you, the producer's yeah. doing.
3: not having the customer there telling you that you want a bit more of this and a bit more of that. Yeah, I think it's a really good thing. I mean, obviously, I did have some input. I mean, you know, those things where I thought they'd kind of drifted off. But they did some quite radical things on um, there's a track called Good Days and Bad Days. Mm-hmm. And they, they really liked the – the because, it's, you know, it's about someone trying to deal with – well, any, not just a pandemic, but any kind of uh, situation where they don't feel that they're in control. And they actually used my demo that I recorded in my office at home for the first part of each verse. It's just me playing the, the acoustic guitar quietly. And then they build in, court in the, when the kind of chorus part comes, they build in everything else and go into a completely uh, newly made thing. And when I first heard it, I thought, "Oh, well, that sounds a bit strange. But then I realized that it was genius because there's actually a bit of the lockdown on the record now. That's me in the lockdown on my own. You know, the very thing I'm talking about, I'm actually doing it on the record, so I was really pleased with it.
2: Good days and bad days, I have no doubt I could get by if they'd just-
3: Normally, when I'm in the studio, we're mostly playing live, bringing musicians together and playing live in the room. And we did have a, a, a live day where we we finished a couple of songs off um, that I'd, cause I because I write you when I'm in the studio, it makes me write more songs, which is or finish more songs would be a real uh, the honest part of it because I've always got ideas knocking around. So I had some songs I wanted to finish off. So we had a couple of live days in the studio, and that was great fun as well. So there's that mixture of the the synthesized sounds coming from Dave and the Mellotron and stuff like that, and then also the very much live sounds on tracks like um, uh, Mid-Century Modern and Pass It On.
1: I know your son Jack is on the last track. Is he on any other songs on the album He is, as well? yeah. Yeah. He came down for the
3: live day. He lives up the road in Brighton. We were in Eastbourne. Yeah. So he, I said he could come down and play on uh, the track that we co-wrote together, Ten Mysterious Photos That Can't Be Explained. And because it was live day, he just stuck around. I think he plays on Pass It On and I think he also plays on uh, Mid-Century Modern.
1: That must be great to have him involved in your music, which he has been for a little it
3: while. It is, yeah. It is great in the aspect of we've found something that we both love, that we enjoy doing, you know. I was once um, driving with him when he was younger and still learning about music. We were talking about the Rolling Stones, listening to uh, Moonlight Mile from Sticky Fingers. And um, I said to him, check out this bit here where Keith plays this guitar riff at the end here and the, and the orchestra kind of falls in with him, you know. Just the strings at first, and then gradually the entire orchestra is following Keith.
2: Yeah.
3: We sat in silence for a while, and we listened to it. And when it ended, I said to him, you know, Jack, I never had this conversation with my dad. And he said, yeah, it's great, isn't it? But you know, I thought it was it's a good thing that we found something that we both like. I mean, it could have been anything. It could have been football. You know, it could have been I don't know, whitewater Rafton or something. But it, the fact that this music is great because I know that he has a means to sort of deal with the day. You know, when he used to come home from school, if he had a rotten day, he'd go upstairs, plug in his electric guitar, and I'd hear him bashing out Ramon songs, and I'd think, okay, well he's he's getting it out of his system. So it's a good, you know, music is a form of therapy for those of us who play an instrument. It has a very therapeutic. Uh, reaction to us because for a moment you know it it kind of uh, it it helps you to transcend your surroundings you know when our Jack was playing those Ramones songs he wasn't in his parents upstairs front bedroom in Dorset you know he was at CBGB's in 1977 with the Ramones and it's good to be able to have a place to go like that where you can escape uh, from, from the way the world is in a way that doesn't mess up your body, you know, you're not injecting anything into your, or knocking yourself out with booze or something, you know. To, to, to be a music fan like that, to be able to play like that is
1: a very positive thing to have, I think. Is he going to be a musician or has he got aspirations or are you going to manage to talk him out of it?
3: No, no, he, he is a musician. He lives in Brighton and uh, works for Deliveroo like all musicians. Actually, that's that's not true. He doesn't work for Deliveroo anymore at the moment. Actually, he works in, the, in a COVID testing station. Sticking straws up people's noses. He's uh, part of the COVID economy at the moment. But, yeah, he's playing. He was in a band. He was in a little band called the RPMs, Hmm. and they had a good go. They went to uh, South by Southwest one year. Oh, yeah. They had a right little bash. They put out a couple of records. But when... uh, uh, college came to an end, the band kind of broke up and now he's, he's writing singer-songwriter songs doing open mics play, he, did, had a gig in Camden last week in, in central London, so he's, do, you know, he's out there, Jack Valero is he, the name he plays under, and he's out there doing his thing, the same as I was when I was his age so, as I say, I think you know I'm pleased that he's doing what he wants to do, you know, that's
2: a, that's a good thing to be able to do Two lovers meet in the park Friends bond over drinks after dark Walk on a beach so far out of reach And a million things that never happened at all
1: Now, the album's titled The Million Things That Never Happened, and you've said that it's not quite about the pandemic, although some of the songs could be related to it. I guess it's a subject that's almost impossible to escape if you're making an album during it, isn't it?
3: It is, really. I mean, my albums have always been a reflection of where I am at that given time, Brian. So, you know, usually, though, I'm trying to get the audience to come and pay attention to something I feel uh, concerned about, you know, whether it's emotional or political or whatever. But well, obviously with the pandemic, it's a universal experience. So if you're going to write about it, you do have to write about it in a way that isn't every song is focused on that thing. So I've tried to write in a much broader way so that people can bring their own experience of the pandemic or of any Anything really to it You know Good days uh, And bad days Works like that The opening track Should have seen it coming Could be about anything That knocks you sideways You know And I will be your shield Although it obviously Has its roots In, in the notion of shielding During the pandemic It's the idea of being Not just a physical uh, shield But an emotional shield For someone that you care about A support in many ways I think that's a universal idea So there's a lot of that Broader universality In the songs Than perhaps normally We'll be on a Billy Bragg album
2: when the world has lost all meaning together We'll stand for our love is the one thing that's real I will be your shield When
0: the angry waves are pounding I will be your shield When the wind whips up the shore This Rhythms podcast with Brian Wise and Billy Bragg Is made possible by the Port Fairy Folk Festival held from the 10th to the 13th of March 2023. For more details, visit portfairyfolkfestival.com. Now back to the conversation.
1: One of the press releases I've read says that the album is the first pandemic blues album of our times, which I hadn't really thought, thought about that until I read that read that particular yeah. quote. And I, I'm pretty certain you didn't write it. No, I didn't know, but that's what the way people have reacted to it. Yeah. So I
3: think that, obviously, it's it's touching a few nerves, where it should. You know, it's not all about the pandemic. The pandemic is the backdrop to it, but so is Trump. Trump's the backdrop to it. Oh. And also, if you listen closely, sort of rumbling away in the distance, those kind of what sounds like thunder, that's Brexit going down. You know, that's happening as well. You know, all these kind of things.
2: The last Christmas at the old place the chat face to face. Trying to make sense of
3: them. I mean, that's what I've always done with music, as I mentioned before. It's a form of therapy. And I'm trying to make sense of the way these things have made me feel. And, and if you're looking for that as well then then this record is for you I mean I think I do think that the creative arts have a role to play in helping us make sense of the world and particularly in this time now this time of kind of this universal experience of the pandemic because there's nothing in our lifetimes that we've had that's been like this you'd have to I suppose you'd have to have lived through the second world war mm. to have been in a time where there was a universal experience so this, this is not a place we've been before and I think when we come out the other end of it we will be changed We'll have a different perspective on society, on ourselves, on our, uh, you know, fellow citizens. But most of all, I think we'll have a sense of
2: loss. The right moment to sing the right song That significant date That you should celebrate And the million things that never happened
3: those things that we, we hoped to do, we wanted to do, we felt we should do, you know? And it'll be everything from the trivial meeting mates up the pub to the, the you know, the, the traumatic experience of not being able to be present when someone you love passed away. You know, that I think that's gonna be something that stays with a lot of people for a long time. So that, that sense of loss is what I'm really referring to in the title track. Most of the time, you know, individual freedom, we we lean more towards that, and rightly so. People should be able to do, broadly speaking, what they they want to do, provided they don't harm anybody else. But in the times that we're living in, I think we have to lean more towards the idea of the common good and recognise that in order to get through this, we, you know, we have to do things that we might not normally want to do, whether that's wearing a mask in the supermarket or getting vaccinated or whatever. Because, you know, those people out demonstrating at the weekend against vaccination, against the mask mandate, you know, I want the pandemic to end as much as they do. But I think in the end, the the only way we're really going to get through it in a way that is not really about individual liberty, but is about compassion towards people who are immunocompromised. And trust me, there are more people who can't go out because they're, not well enough to, to have COVID. COVID would kill them. There's more people like that than there are people out on the streets complaining about their individual liberty. Yeah. So, you know, we I'd prefer to think of those people, the immunocompromised, those people who are, are not able to be part of society and do everything I can to bring them back. And so then we can go back and, and lean towards individual freedom again in the way that we we like to when we can. But at the moment, in what we're going through, I mean, we, you know, in the UK here, you know, we have the second highest number of active cases in the world in the UK. Mm. And in, in Europe, we have the highest number of deaths and the highest number of cases. So the libertarian attitude that our government has towards this pandemic has not helped people here. You know, we should really have been a little more strict. And I know people are chafing in Australia and in New Zealand as well, but you have managed to keep your cases
2: down in a way that we haven't should have seen it coming but I didn't have the time Far too busy grafting to pick up on the signs It came up through the static and hit me from behind I should have seen it coming but I didn't have the time You know, the
3: people who are vaccine hesitant who was, you know, fr- afraid what might happen with the vaccine? I have some sympathy for those because I'm a, mm-hmm. I'm a anxious flyer. Yeah. And no so. amount of you rationally telling me that our safe airplanes are, and I know because I've been going on airplanes all my life, I know how rationally safe they are, it stops me from being nervous about it and anxious about it. I never fail to be anxious going up, and I'm always happy coming down. So I, I appreciate for the vaccine hesitant, no amount of me telling them it's, it's going to make it easier for them. But those people who say it's all about their personal liberty, I'm afraid I I really don't have much time for those, you know. And and the stick I get about it online is just ridiculous. I mean, people telling me the 1980s Billy Bragg will be appalled that I'm in favour of vaccination and and uh, masks and everything and i'm like mate listen margaret thatcher's most famous saying was there is no such thing as society There are only individuals and families and that's what you're saying when you're saying i don't want to wear a mask that's what you're saying when you're saying i refuse to be vaccinated because it's my personal freedom you're saying that there's no such thing as society what i'm saying is what i've always said i'm in favor of the common good in the end you know whatever as a society we have to work to hold up those people who are having the most difficult time and really the people who are having the most difficult time during this period are the immunocompromised and we have to do more to to create a situation where we have this thing under control I mean I don't think we'll ever eradicate it to be honest now but we need to get to a situation where we have it under control and we're nowhere near
2: that at the moment in the UK It seemed like I was riding high but my head was in the sand. I should see you coming
1: Now you mentioned the, the song Should have seen it Coming, which is a lead-off track, which could have even been inspired by something that Woody Guthrie did really. It sounds as though it might have come from that sort of thing. But and you can think of it as a comment on the pandemic or as you mentioned much more widely. But it seems to sum up the the dilemma we're going through.
3: A lot of the resonances early on for us in the uh in the first lockdown was the Uh, Second World War and the Blitz,
2: Mm, you
3: know, that was, many people, uh, you know, said that that had a, uh, and both, it was both used to encourage us to, you know, to do what we could do, but also to sort of make people think, well, we have been through tough times before and perhaps we can get through these tough times again by working together. So I think it's it's helpful to have a reflection, whether it's from fiction or whether it's from uh, folk memory, Mm -hmm. to realise that, you you know, we have faced up to these things before. You know, you have gotta think to yourself what would lockdown have been like without the internet? It would have been dreadful. But by the same token, it's it's allowed the most ridiculous theories and complaints to get the oxygen of publicity. You do have to wonder sometimes what people are thinking if they're if they're deworming themselves with horse drugs. It's like what you know, what is going on here?
2: I don't know if I should see But I may never have have this chance again so i have to seize the day i believe in-
1: Billy I just wanted to say I mean you mentioned the song Pass It On which is really about sort of ancestry and and heritage and things like that in in a way but there that is just one of quite a few or several beautiful ballads on the album which I guess is sometimes overlooked in your work the 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 ballad writing because there are some beautiful songs here and I could mention I Believe in You and those songs really stand out to me in a way.
3: Well I've always had a a feel for ballads you know I, I listen to a lot of singer-songwriters in my youth and um, was a great admirer of songwriters like uh, paul simon mm. um you know jackson brown those kind of guys who wrote great ballads so i do you know i do find that it does you know you don't have to be angry all the time and if you're going to try and put across a compassionate idea sometimes uh, mm. it, it's make it works better if you if you you know ease people into it a little less stringently so yeah i, I love those songs And to me, the the greatest single of all time is uh, "The Tracks of My Tears" by Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. You know, the greatest Mm. three-chord trick anybody ever played. Uh, So, you know, that's kind of where I'm coming from. That's that's as much me as you know, uh, the world turned upside down, or to have and to have
2: not.
1: I could have also, I should have also mentioned, "I Will Be Your Shield," which is certainly a song for the times. Even though it's a ballad, you can really take that as a personal song, can't you?
3: On, on a number of levels, I think, yeah. I mean, it was very interesting. I wrote that towards the end of the process. And when I sent it to uh, Dave and uh, Romeo, they are like, well, what are we supposed to do with this, Bill? You've written a bloody torch ballad here, you know, power ballad. What are we gonna, how are we going to do this? It's just kind of... So I was like, well, we, let's just go in the studio and Romeo, you play on the piano and I'll sing it and we'll see what happens. And that's what happened. I mean, that's me and Romeo doing it live. That's live. In fact, I think if you listen closely, you can hear the foot pedals on the piano moving because it's literally me and Romeo in the room. We did, we ran through it a couple of times and it made the hairs on the back of our necks stand up. So we went upstairs and shaved the back of our necks and then we came down and recorded it.
2: In the battle against your demons I, I will be your shield When the world has lost all meaning Together we'll stand for our love is the
1: Century Modern is a terrific song about sort of what's going on or what has been going on over recent years. It's a terrific summation of how things have changed. And one of the lines in it is, It's hard to get your bearings. And some of those things that we're bought up on, maybe men in particular, they're hard to break out of, aren't they?
2: They are. It's hard to get your bearings in a world that doesn't. I took long ago Feel comfy as an old armchair But the kids that pull the statues down They challenge me to see The gap is
3: Mid-century modern is a, actually a, a style of interior design, but when I heard that term, I thought, "Well, that's kind of me and my generation. We're kind of mid-century modern, you know. We really need to be in a headspace where we're able to update our our worldview away from the politics that we learned in the, you know, in my case in the 1980s. You know, Margaret Thatcher's dead, so you know, you can't ask her what she thought of your portrayal of her in the Crown anymore. You know, she's gone." battle
2: up again last night and as, as a result of that I
3: really have to think about where politics are today and and they have changed incredibly I think you know the idea of the the you know ideological politics that were prevalent when I was learning um, left and right. That's certainly passed on, but I also think that as um, the modern right have developed this obsession with individual liberty, Mm. so the young generation coming through have realized that really that is nothing more than an excuse for license to be able to say whatever they want to say. And actually young people are more interested now, I think, in accountability. I think they recognize that that is the most important aspect of freedom. If you're able to hold people in power to account or even just that person you're arguing with on Twitter, if you're able to hold them to account, then you know, you have you have the ability there to to you know bring about real change. So that that's to me is a huge shift in my thinking. And I refer to it in mid century modern. You know, I say that, you know, positions I took long ago feel comfy as an old armchair. But the kids that tear the statues down, they challenge me to see the gap between the man I am and the man I want to be. So those young people, you know, what happened last year with Black Lives Matter, the, the, the woman who filmed the clip of George Floyd being murdered was only 17 years old. And she was smart enough to think if I record this, you know, people will be held to account for this because people won't believe this happened. You know, if we just tell them what happened, they'll, it'll get swept away. But if I film this and put this online, I understand, I know that when people see this, they'll react the way I'm reacting now. So instead, while everybody else got angry around her, and then, well, rightly so, she was smart enough to think I'm going to film this. And imagine what's come from that one moment, that one moment of foresight. She was absolutely right because people do want accountability. And over the years, you know, I, I think in the end, sort of the politics I've always been interested in, call them socialism, if you like, are, are about accountability. They are about holding um, absolute power to account, whether it's the absolute power of politicians or the absolute power of of uh, corporations. We're going to have to do this if we're going to do anything about the, the, the climate change. And we're going to have to be accountable ourselves as well about the climate. So I think accountability is, uh, to me now, seems... Absolutely central to my politics And perhaps it always was But I didn't recognise that And that's what I'm trying to talk about In that song, you know It's not like I've shifted hugely In where my politics are coming from But I've realised that Actually, you know The things I've been talking about All this time Are actually manifest in a different way now And I need to adjust to that way In order to keep faith With my original politics Because as you said, you know you've, You're not comfortable with the word of the idea Of Australia Day And you'd like to move on to refer to inv- I think it's Invasion Asian Day Is it what they call it? it. it yeah, 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 you'd like to call it, You know, none of us are as, as young as we were, Brian, you know. And I'm trying to, you know, I'm a 63-year-old bloke. I'm trying to make an album that reflects that without being, you know, churlish about it. And I'm also trying, you know, and also I want people to, who are listening who are also my age to realise that they also perhaps have to reappraise their politics and, have, you know, pay a bit more attention and try and find another way to articulate what it is they believe in that makes sense to young people today and is able, allows you then to be part of the debate.
2: Now the angry old men say it was better back when We used to keep the Aspidistra flying Now it may be the case that we can't change our bike But there's surely no army
1: trying Finally, Billy, let me ask you about the the closing track, Ten Mysterious Photographs That Can't Be Explained, which you can explain to us, which features, <laughs> your, which is, features your son, Jack. And as you said, it is a stomper. You'd like to finish an album with a stomper. And it's a, it's I it's so, yeah. It's, it's great. Yeah, Tell us about that particular song. Well,
3: Ten Mysterious Photos That Can't Be Explained was a, a website, the name of a webpage that keep, kept popping up at the bottom of my screen every time I was on YouTube, all through the lockdown. I never did look at it because I knew that... <laughs> Probably I could explain them and probably it wouldn't just be 10 photos. It would also be 15 adverts as well. But it was there all the time niggling away. And I, and for someone like myself who's A, an autodidact and two, really, really curious, that wormhole, to go down that wormhole for me is really, really dangerous. And so I wanted to try to write a song about that because, you know, I'm, I'm not against... You know, I don't think the internet is a bad thing, but I do think it reflects humanity. It's who we are. You know, anything good or bad in there is us reflected. It's not It's being not the, the medium. It's us that's the problem. So I wanted to write a song about that. So I wrote this song and it was, it, you know, I had loads of great lyrics and, but no chorus. It had an A part and a B part. It just went round and round, you know. And my son who heard the song over Christmas, he came home and I played him some of the tracks and uh, I'd been sent from the studio and sang along. He was like, oh, you know, that, 10 Mysterious Photos bit, Dad, that should be the chorus. And I was like, yeah, but then that would mean I have to get rid of all these lyrics and I don't want to do that. So he said, well, write a middle eight. And I'm like, oh, God. Yeah, right. This is the song, Jack. This is how I've written it, okay? But he said, look, let me have a go and see if I can find a middle eight. So he took the lyrics and he came back half an hour later and he played it to me. And it worked fine with the chorus as that bit, 10 Mysterious Photos, and the other lines as middle eight. So that was how I recorded it. And he came to the studio on that day, and we had a lot of fun. I mean, he's he's been a songwriter for 10 years, but he's never been around when I've been making albums. The last album, which was 2013, I made in Los Angeles. So he wasn't around for that. And then the album before that, which was made in, I think, 2006, I'm not even sure he was writing songs in. So this is the first time he's been, you know, sort of engaged in songwriting enough to be able to to get involved. And I, you know, I enjoyed the process. He came to the studio, because he only lives up the road from the studio. He came to the studio on that day and played on the song. And I hope, you know, we, he might come to me with an idea and say, you know, I'm stuck on this song, Dad, what do you reckon? You know, because we've, we've talked about songwriting before, but not in a, I've never been critical of his songwriting, I've never tried to take one of his songs apart and put it back together again. But I'd like to think that now he's he's had a bit of that, working with me, that we might be able to do that if he wants to, you know, again, it's up to him. I don't want to be a rock star, Dad, and start telling him how to write songs. He's quite capable of writing a great song himself without me looking over his shoulder. But if he does get stuck, I'm happy to come and give him a hand. And likewise, next time I'm stuck, I'll ring him up. So what do you ring to this?
2: photos that can't be explained I'm trying to the best of my out fragments of songs that I never wrote.
1: Well, your friend Joe Henry's recorded with his son, Levon. There might be a chance that you two might record together. Exactly. In fact, I saw Paul Weller
3: with his daughter on the telly the other day on, the, on, on his new single with his daughter. So it's obviously a coming thing, but it's just a great, for me, it's just a great uh, sort of passing on the baton. You know, he's he's seen me, you know, throughout my career. And I think he, he found that, uh, you know, I suppose he figured if the old man can do it, it can't be that hard. Maybe I should maybe I should have a go. So he's he's pretty good, actually. You know, he's written some songs that are really I found really you know great earworms that I've, I still hear from time to time pop up, and I think oh that's one of our Jacks that one. That's brilliant.
1: Hey, thanks so much for talking to us. One of the things before you go, I need a recommendation because one of the things that I've been uncovering is all my vinyl collection. What have you rediscovered in the last year or so that you'd forgotten about or you've found has been terrific because i've been given so much joy by rediscovering so many of my old albums what have you rediscovered
3: well, i'll tell you what's really helped me rediscover my albums and go back and listen to my albums actually a podcast there's a podcast called the history of rock in 500 songs uh by a, uh an english guy's name His name's brian actually i can't remember his surname which is really bad but it's a really brilliant podcast because he goes deep into all these songs from rock history starting in the 1940s he's just got up to the mid-60s now he's just done um uh i can't help myself by the four tops last week You'd love and that. it's a wonderful thing because there's already there's already like a hundred and something of them so you can dip into anywhere you like but the thing it does is you i play these records and i go off and i'm like i i went through a uh, a huge Manfred Mann thing after listening to the program about Do What Did he and I was like I was like wow Manfred Mann I totally forgotten about Manfred Mann so that that that's been my big discovery during the the, the pandemic is listening to, to history in five hundred songs has drawn me to loads of material that I haven't that I haven't been really listened to. I mean, I never really listened to Manfred Mann, but I'd heard him if you know what I mean. You know, yeah. you just picked him up in the ether. So going back to that has been brilliant. Great, hey, thanks
1: for talking to us. All the best, and uh, we'll we'll see you here in early next year. Fingers crossed, Brian. Fingers Good crossed. That,
3: Bye.
2: Tell you about the man the music that they're putting down. They started to play on rainy day,
1: and the people came from miles around.
2: They didn't come for the rhythm.
1: From back in the 60s, that's Manfred Man, led by Paul Jones on Vocals. Over recent years he's been presenting a blues show on the BBC and he's still singing still sounds great. And that was one of the rediscoveries of Billy Bragg during the pandemic. And Billy Bragg was our special guest on this edition of the Rhythms podcast. Of course, Billy will be back in Australia for some dates and also appearing at the Port Fairy Folk Festival. And we also heard a selection of tracks from Billy's latest album, The Million Things That Never Happened, and Moonlight Mile from the Rolling Stones album, Sticky Fingers. Well, I hope you enjoyed our podcast. I'll be back again
0: next week with another Rhythms podcast. This Rhythms podcast with Brian Wise and Billy Bragg has been made possible by the Port Fairy Folk Festival, held from the 10th to the 13th of March, 2023. And for more details, you can visit portfairyfolkfestival.com. For more conversations with your favourite artists, subscribe to Rhythms on your podcast app and unlock hours of incredible listening with your favourite artists. You can find the latest articles and images to go with these podcasts by visiting rhythms.com.au.